Um, so as most of you all know, Pastor Will is on a mission trip in Nicaragua. Um, he is out in the bush, so we don't really have any contact with him, so I'm assuming it's going well. Um, <clears throat> so um, today he's invited um, Brian Pickrell. He's going to talk a little bit about himself. Um, first service was a really good message. Hopefully he brings it again. Hopefully you'll learn something. So you all welcome Brian. Thank you. <laughs> Well, well, welcome. Uh, we are so grateful uh, to be worshiping with you this morning and the opportunity to be able to bring God's word. Um, it's just uh, really cool, really cool how God works. Uh, I met Will, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when he was in Alabama online. And we were both kind of working, partnering with uh, the Gideons doing the Life Book. If you've ever heard of the Life Book, it's a student ministry little book. And we were kind of helping youth pastors and churches get these uh, cool resources. And we used to kind of communicate uh, through Zoom as a team meeting and, and, uh, and kind of ran into Will in Louisville at uh, Southern Seminary for a family conference just a couple years ago. And I'm like, Will Smith, what are you doing in Kentucky? And he's like, well, I'm in Owensboro now. I was like, well, that's awesome. And just like a, a couple months ago, I was at uh, the, the coffee place over here, um, and uh, I think it's the Q Emporium, and, and there's Will Smith. And I said, Will, what are you doing in Bowling Green? He said, well, I'm serving as a campus pastor uh, at Eastwood. I thought, man, that is, that is so cool uh, how the Lord sort of uh, uh, brought that to pass and, and to see Will again. And uh, you may recognize me. A few weeks ago, I was here with my wife, and we were taking pictures, and we had cameras in our hands. And... Um, but we're back uh, this morning to bring God's word uh, with you. I've been in uh, vocational ministry with my wife uh, for 17, 18 years. We were on staff, uh, and uh, we were, uh, we're just in a transition season. We have those seasons of life, those transitions, and just trusting and relying on the Lord in, in these times. We've been married. I've been married for 20 years. Uh, we've got four kids and uh, we're just uh, just fully relying on the Lord. You know, there was a season in our life that has just been very difficult. And uh, but God is faithful, and uh, we love we love Him. We love the local church. And if you're a guest this morning, I I, I see you, because like for the last year or so, we have been guests. And going into church, I'm just going to tell you, after, you know, being at one place for so long and being a church guest, it's awkward. It is hard. It is weird and difficult. It's good. We've, we've been able to enjoy going into different places and, and, and meeting different congregations and worshiping in different styles and different places. But I just want to encourage you, hang with it. It'll get better. And, uh, and, and, and just make yourself friendly because the person beside you, they might be a guest too. And so uh, they're waiting for you to reach out to them and you're waiting for them to reach out to you. So just turn around and say, I'm a guest. Glad to have you. And so uh, I understand what that's like. But it's, a, it's a, been a unique season in our life uh, and where, we're, where we've been serving. So right now we're just serving um, right in the church, right in our neighborhood there in Temple Hill in Glasgow. Uh, this is my wife's home church, and we're just teaching Sunday school and loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and, uh, and giving the opportunity where we have to go preach and, and proclaim his word and, and just take the kingdom of God wherever we go. And uh, know that every season of our life can be different, and we just have to recognize what is at the moment and the times and the season that God has us in right now. 
and understand what is it God's trying to get our attention and speak to us in this moment, in this time, in this hour. So the very fact that I am here with you this morning is not an accident. This is not just another day that we just happened to come and we're just going to just have another church service. That the living God is amongst us and in his presence we get to come and we get to open his very word this morning. That we have that opportunity and privilege to do that. So I want to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And as we look at what God has for us, we were going to look at the words that he wrote into a church, the church in Sardis. Sardis is, um, in that day and time, was in the, the kingdom of Lydia, which is modern day Turkey. And this was a very well-known, very reputable city of its day and time. It was a very wealthy city. The city was set in sort of the landscape in front of the Mount Tumulus, which is this large, massive mountain that sat behind. So they, this city was sort of built up against the mountain. And many people, the enemies, did not want to fight them because they just sort of had the advantage. They had the mountain that sort of protected them, and they were sort of up on a hill so they, they could see anybody coming. So a lot of people did not mess with the, the city of Sardis. However, their complacency and their lack of defending the back because they sort of were in a, a false sense of security with the, the mountain to its back, there were a couple of pe- couple times that the city was captured. Uh, There were people that were willing to scale the mountain and to sort of come in the back door. So they had a problem with a lot of thieves that would come in this area. And so there were a couple of times that the city was sieged uh, because they sort of neglected some areas in their life that they had not completely secured. And so they sort of built their, their... their mantra, their reputation upon their wealth. So one of the things that the city of Sardis was known for, gold would sort of flow down um, from the mountains into the rivers. And so the wealth of this, this sort of city sort of grew and grew. And it is supposedly that this little area here uh, is known to believe to, to come up with the first gold coins was from the city of Sardis. So quite a unique little area here that they have, uh, and very reputable and very respected. They, they are known to have, have invented the, 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 the creation and the dyeing of wool. And so the cre- adding color to clothes and things of that nature. So a lot of things that they accomplished and have done over the years, and not to dismiss those, But they were sort of living in the glory days, if you will. They were sort of living in the good old days of things that they had done. And and not that there's anything wrong with reflecting on those things. As a matter of fact, Joshua talks about when they they were crossing the Jordan River, they stacked the stones before entering into the promised land so that when they crossed through this area, they would be able to look back at all the things that God had done, that he had led them out of Egypt, he had led them out of bondage. So when they would see the stones, it would be reminded that God was faithful to them, that God has been good to them. And so those moments, those hard times, those times of of desperation and not knowing the answers that God had for them, they could look at the stones and be reminded that God is faithful yesterday. And so he's going to be faithful today and tomorrow. 
But that's not what this city had done. They have sort of set this up as things that they had done. And they had completely relied on their past, on their wealth, and on their intuition. And they become completely self-reliant. They had become completely dependent on their ancient prestige. And so as we pick up in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we see the the word of the Lord speaking to us, saying in verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. The sevens representing the completion of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who is sovereign over all this. He continues, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of, my book, out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for allowing us to come into this place. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to bring your word, to break bread with this faith family. To be able to open your word, to look into our own hearts and evaluate our own hearts into where we might draw closer to you. God, if there's areas in our life that we have done like Sardis and we have sort of neglected because we felt like we were strong in those areas, and maybe there are things that we have allowed into our life that maybe our reputation to, to people around us is one of a good reputation. It's a reputation of being alive, but on the inside, we are far from you. So I pray, Father, that you would allow this message this morning to be one of compassion and love. That we will be a message of encouragement and hope that you have not given up on us, but that you have an opportunity to work mightily. Father, we pray for those this morning that might not know you yet, that they might respond to the calling of your Holy Spirit unto salvation. That they might put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. We ask all these things and it's your name we pray. Amen and amen. So the church had the church of Sardis had began a good work. They had started the race strong. They had been going hard, but they sort of fizzled out. And maybe they had gotten a good pace and such done so well that they become complacent. And as they were looking around everybody else, they were like, "You know what? I think we're doing just fine, and let's just stop there." And they've become comfortable with the situation that they're in. But notice the things that we see here that Jesus says to the church. He says in verse 1, he says, I know your works. The Lord knows who we are. The Lord knows our condition. He knows everything about us. He knows the ins and the outs, our thoughts and our actions. He knows our behaviors. He knows our, the history cache on our phones and safaris and everything that we're searching. He knows it all. 
The Lord knows everything in our thoughts and even the motivations in which we're doing them. He says, I know your works. So what were their works? They, well, they had a reputation of being alive, but were dead. And this was a major problem in Sardis because there was a complete disconnect from their reputation and reality from who they said they were for who they actually were. From, from the disconnect of what they were claiming about themselves, but had, had sort of been riding on the coattails of the generations before them, but were no longer this great measure, uh, measurable threat in their area. And oftentimes, dead and dying churches are frequently oblivious to their condition or their in, imminent threat. And I would say there are a lot of churches, as we're seeing, churches are closing their doors all the time in our nation. A lot of that is we're just trying to fight the attendance struggle. We're just trying to get people to show up. And so we're just trying to get and do anything that we can to get people just to come. But the problem is when we become comfortable with those type of measures, we sort of lull ourselves to sleep, not understanding that the way that God wants to work is he wants us to draw us, us to him. That if we were drawn to him to be in his presence, that the Holy Spirit would move in our life, that's when the move of God begins. That we begin to understand that it is something that we can sometimes be even self-deceived and understanding that our relationship with the Lord maybe not is as close as what it is or actually in reality what it should be. And somehow those things can happen in our lives. Sometimes those can happen in our life. I don't know, maybe those had happened in your life and those relationships and you thought everything was fine until somebody comes up and says, can I have a conversation with you? And they let you know the things that you've been saying to them or neglecting them or ignoring them and they have been very hurtful, but you thought everything was fine. So maybe your relationship with the Lord is similar to that. If you were to have a complete honest conversation and just to let it out all out before the Lord, we're afraid to do that. But here's the great news this morning. The Lord knows everything. So if you were to come to him this morning and just to lay it all out and just to, to let him know, he is not afraid of those things. A lot of times as, as the church, we're afraid to let people know who we really are because if they really know who I was, they wouldn't like me. But here's the thing. The Lord knows all of that. We can come to him as we completely are and come to the Lord. He, re he receives us and forgives us and cleanses us and allows us and brings us into his family. The very fact that he knows us and yet still loves us. He knows our condition. So we, we don't have to come pretending before the Lord. We don't have to put on a fake smile before the Lord that he knows who we really are. What was, what was going on in their life? Well, their works were complete. It says, we see in verse 2, he says, I know your works. And then he says, I found that your works are not complete in the sight of God. That they had started strong, they had ran on ahead, but they just didn't finish the race. That you had began to do some great things for God, you just sort of stopped. You began to spend time with the Lord, you began to share the gospel, you began to do things for the Lord. But somewhere along the way, you just kind of got distracted or busy or you became complacent and comfortable and just said, I'm going to step aside. I think I've done enough. And we begin to ask ourselves, how are we doing with these things? What are we giving ourselves to? What, what are the things that we're giving our time to? 
And what would you say for you to live is what? What is it that makes you who you are? How are what are you living for? What are you giving your time and thoughts and energy and efforts to? Who would your kids say? What would your kids say for you to live is what? What would your family say about that you are giving yourself and your time to? And there's something in understanding that, we, that this church was dealing with. They were dealing with their image more than who they were on the inside. They care more about what people thought about them than what they actually were doing for the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.5 says that they had the appearance of, of godliness but denying its power like they appear to be godly they appear to be a christian faith but they're relying completely on their ingenuity on their charisma on their creativity rather than on the demonstration and the power of the holy spirit as we look at the matthew 23 jesus even says he says woe to you scribes and pharisees and hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence you blind pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness, so that you are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is the people, this, this was the religious people. This was the people that, that carried the lamp, but they had no oil. This was the people that were, that were displaying their faith, but there was no co real connection on the inside. They, they had downloaded, but they were no longer connected to the source. And so we have to understand that we can't let our, our creativity outpace who we really are. We can't let our charisma outpace our right relationship with the Lord. So what happens? What happens with this? Jesus gives a command. The Lord gives a command in verse 2. And the command is, wake up. So maybe you need to look to your neighbor and say, hey, wake up. That's a good neighbor, right? Let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you about, little, uh, about Jimmy. Jimmy was a faithful deacon. He'd been served for years. Uh, and he was just a great man of God. But Jimmy, had, the older he got, he had a problem. He could not stay awake in church. He just, it was just, we just knew Jimmy's going to fall asleep. It had nothing to do with the preaching. He just got steel. He was out. Now, here's the thing. Jimmy had a great wife. And his, his wife was do this, right? Jimmy, wake up, Jimmy. And if it were not for her, he, 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 would, he would not be good for him. Well, there was one particular son. This is a true story. I didn't make this up. One particular Sunday, his wife was serving in the nursery. She was not sitting by him. He was sitting alone. And Jimmy got really comfortable and really still. And boom, out he went. Face forward. He was sitting on the edge. Face forward, right on the floor. I mean, it was a sight. We had to stop and help Jimmy up. And of course, he always says, Where's my wife, right? Like, why did, she not, why did she allow this to happen to me? A lot of times what happens when we get comfortable, when we get comfortable, that's when we begin to fall asleep. 
You know, the older I get, I mean, if I sit, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm turning into Jimmy. The, the older I get, if I get comfortable, it's not long before I'm out. I used to think, Dad, why are you always so tired? Like every time I see Dad, it's like, I get it. Like, I have to read standing up because if I start reading my heart rate low, I am out. What happens is when we become comfortable, it's sort of this lullaby that becomes to happen in our life and we become unaware of what's happening. What's dangerous is when you're on the road and you're, you're fighting back the sleep. You're doing everything you can to fight it. But here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, wake up. What does that mean? That means that's us recognizing where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. It's time to, it's time to wake up spiritually and to look and to take it and see what is happening and face the reality. You see, that's what happened with the prodigal son. The Bible says that he came to himself. If you remember that, he came to himself and he looked, and he's like, what am I doing eating with the pigs? He had become complacent and comfortable until there was a moment in his life the Holy Spirit revealed to him that it was better with the Father than here with the pigs. But yet we have become so satisfied, we have even convinced ourselves that the condition that we're in is just fine. But we must wake up and realize, wait a minute, how did I even get here? It's almost like the Titanic is singing and we're sinking and we're still playing the music, not recognizing what is happening around us. So as the people of Sardis were back up to the mountain, they had sort of had a false sense of security with this massive mountain behind them. And they had thought that these were the areas in which they were fine. You know, sometimes it's the areas that we feel like we're the strongest in that the enemy tries to sneak in because we put our guard down. The moment you begin to say, well, I'll never do this or I'll never go that, that's not a temptation to me. The enemy is like, oh, really? So that's not a temptation. Interesting. That's where he's going to say, there are no guards on that side. That's where we need to go. So we need to begin to recognize that if you are in this room and you are a human being, that you begin to understand, I, am, I can fall into any sin. I am capable of any sin. That if I am not putting up the guards and I'm not awake and watching for the enemy to come into my life, that could be me. And that's what happens with so many people, even in leadership. They become prideful that they have built this great spiritual legacy thinking they are untouchable. Not protecting and realizing that we're all humans and that we should be dependent upon the Lord, trusting in Him. So how do you avoid falling asleep? 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep close, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching." Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul's talking to Timothy here. He's reminding him, how do you stay a faithful man of God? How do you stay faithful? He says, you need to be constantly, keep a close watch on yourself. That means examine your heart. And examine the words that you're saying. What are you communicating? What are you teaching? What are you not saying? What are you not speaking up about? 
Keep a close watch on these things. Persist in it. Don't just do it once every while and then. Take a self-evaluation of your heart with the Lord because it'll save you and those that you're leading, those that you're teaching, those in your family. That's how we do it. That's how we stay faithful to the Lord. What are we to do when we wake up? He says in verse 2, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains. What the Lord has given you and allowed to keep in your life in this moment. Be faithful stewards of what God has given you. What is it the Lord allows you in still in your life? Are the kids still at home? Do you still have an opportunity to reach these and you have these resources at your hands that the Lord is still gracious for you to have? Take those things and make sure and redeem them and give them to the Lord. Don't waste those opportunities. So you may have wasted and passed some years in your life. Maybe you've missed the opportunities, but seize the moment now to fix them, to set them fast and establish them. Maybe you need to wake up to the relationships in your home with your marriage and you're like, you have just been coasting. It was just kind of like you, you early on you were dating and you were serious and you, you cared about the other person and you wanted to, to really doubt on them and love them and, and, and then you got married and it's just like, I'm in. And you just forgot about all of that. That's kind of how we are with our relationship with God. Sometimes we're like, we get in. And we're part of his family. And then now that we're in, we're safe. And we stop dating our spouse. We stop communicating with our spouse. Maybe it is that God is saying you need to strengthen what remains. Because it's, if not, it's about to die. So the very fact that you have an opportunity to hear this message is God is saying, listen, don't throw in the towel. Strengthen what remains. Give it to the Lord what you still have. And then verse 3, he says, remember. Remember then what you have received and heard. Remember the initial gospel that you heard when you first came to faith in Christ. Remember the salvation that you have received, the promise of God, the hope of God. And listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Remember this. That we don't have to depend on our own strength, on our own ability, and our own power, but we can rely on the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the main trouble with the Christian faith is that we are in our daily lives, we fail to realize that we have the living God among us. When we begin to recognize that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives, that we can face tomorrow. We can overcome the trials and the sufferings and the pains of this world. That we can make a difference and an impact in this world. That listen, listen, yes, let's do things well. Let's do things right. Let's do things the way they should be doing. But listen, if we can do all, we can be as successful as we want to be. We can be as, as, as wonderful as we want to be. But if we're doing all these things and being successful without the Holy Spirit, it's a waste of our time. To come in and do church without the Holy Spirit is not fun. I'm just going to tell you. It's like the worst thing I think that you can do. There's a lot of other things in this life that are a lot better than playing church. But when you get connected with the power of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing sweeter or more precious. And my friend, God is wanting to do a work. Whether this passage is talking about his second return, that he's coming back, 
Or this passage is talking about God is wanting to do a work here amongst us as God is working in Kentucky. If you've been on social media at all, it has been blowing up the revival that's happening in Asbury. That God is wanting to work. This Holy Spirit is wanting to move. And if we are not aware, we will miss it. Now, what makes a revival? What makes a revival is that God's name be glorified. Not just an experience, not just to come and have an experience with revival, but that God's name be glorified to those who don't know him yet. And then our, our, as believers, that we come fearing and trusting in the Lord humbly, working together in unity. That's when we begin to see a revival. So we must remember the salvation, remember the word of God, the promises of God, the gospel that we have. So why were we trying to do this on our own? The church did not have to try to do this on their own, but what are they to do? Well, they're to keep it. Keep the gospel. Keep your salvation and keep the word of God. Hang on to it. If you have nothing else, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because he's all we have and all we need. When we come to the place like the Israelites were, and they came to the Red Sea, they were at a place where they had to cry out to the Lord because the Red Sea was before them. There was deserts on both sides, and the Egyptians were coming behind them. They had got to a place where they were desperate that if, unless God moved, they could have no hope. And so they cried out to the Lord. Now, how do we know if we're in this condition right now? How do we know if we're falling asleep? How do we know if we're self-reliant? How do we know if we're trusting in ourselves and our methods and our measures as a faith family, as individuals? How do we know we're becoming to that place? Here's a simple task or a test to know. How often are you praying? The very fact that, that you are not praying would indicate that you're saying to the Lord, I don't need you. But when we come and we pray, we're relying on him saying, God, I need you. That we would come into this place, that we would come ready expecting God to work. That we would come ready not to be entertained, but to come and to see God at work in our lives. That we would anticipate the working of the Holy Spirit. The fact that all of this revival is happening with students should remind us that what that is what they are longing for. Something real, something genuine. We don't have to attract with the things of this world. So what does the Lord do? The Lord gives us a warning. So this is, Jesus is sort of kind of like saying, I'm just letting you know this is your condition. You don't want me to come and wake you up. You don't want me to come and do that. I don't know if you have teenagers or maybe you're a teenager. You remember being a teenager at some point in your life. And there was a stage in my life as a teenager that it was really hard to get me to wake up. Part of that reason is because I didn't go to bed on time. You know, go to bed on time, it's hard to wake up in the morning. And this was a habit of mine. It's a bad habit of mine as a teenager. And my dad was a very gracious dad. He, he never got angry or anything like that. But he would come in. And he would give sort of a subtle, like, hey, you know, it's time to get up. You need to get ready. All right, you know. And that was it. And most of the time, 
That did not work, right? I slept in the basement. There were no windows. It was completely dark. I mean, you could be down there in the middle of the day and have no idea the sun was shining. It was really hard to get up. So that was step one. Step two, he'd come down and he'd turn on the lights, which is like murder to your eyeballs, right? It's awful. But sometimes that would work, right? That would allow me to, to wake up. And if that didn't work, we had a, a drum set outside my door. Now, Dad did not play drums, but he had a beat down. And if I would not get up, I mean, he, he would come down, he would, like, he would tiptoe down the stairs because he, he was anticipating the element of surprise. And he would go, I mean, just like, it was intense, a lot. I even had a friend over one time, and we were getting ready to school. School was the next day, and we were not getting out of the bed. And Dad just resorted. He's like, I, I'm skipping this. I'm going straight to the drums. And my friend jumped out of bed. I mean, it was hilarious. He, he jumped out of the couch. I had a couch in my room. He jumped up and was like, what is going on? He had no idea. There was an element of surprise. So, and if that didn't work, here come the cold cup of water. And you want to talk about making a teenager mad. Just go throw cold water them in the face. Just don't even, don't even tell them it's time to get up. Just boom. Right? That'll start off great. And so here's kind of what Jesus is doing. He's giving us that subtle, hey, it's time to wake up. I want you to know what time it is. I want you to be aware of the situation that you're in. I want you to be aware of the condition that your heart is in. I want you to be aware of the life and the season in which you're in right now because the seasons that you're in will not last. You got kids at home, it won't last. You got babies under two or three, hope's coming, it won't last. The season and the moments that you're in, whatever that is, if you're in the spring stage of life, you're in the winter stage of life as, a, as an older person, this is the moment that God has you in right now, and he's trying to get our attention to remind us, don't let it pass. Don't let it pass. And maybe it's a storm that's in your life, and it is, it is so abrasive, it's so hard, you, you don't know how to deal with the storm, but just remember, what do storms do? Storms are always moving. And we need to recognize the moment that we're in, that God has us in, in this moment, the storms that we're in, and we need to say, what is God doing in my life? What is he trying to show me? You know, as the rain comes and the falls of the story, the parable with the builders who built upon the rock and the sand, when the rain comes, what it does, it reveals the foundation. The rain will reveal the sturdiness of the foundation. And the sand, water runs through sand and it knocks it down. And so sometimes there's things in our life that happens in our life to reveal to us where the leaks are in our life. And that's really God's grace. That's his mercy saying, I'm allowing this storm in your life so you can find the leaks, so you can find the cracks in your foundation, so you can set them and establish them and secure them. Because here's the warning. We see in verse 3, he says, keep it and repent, and if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus uses this language all throughout the New Testament. We see it in Matthew 24. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, 
he would have stayed awake and would not let, have let his house be broken into. Like if I told you, if I told you that there was, there was going to be a break-in, you would not go, cool, all right. You would stay up. So here's something that me and my friends did. It was very stupid, which is what happens when you get with your friends sometimes. A buddy of mine, he, he had, somebody kept sort of breaking into his house while he was asleep. And we were like, no, 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 that's not going to happen again. We're going to take care of this. So we all showed up at his house, not with real guns, but with like airsoft and paintball guns. And we're hiding in his backyard, and we're going to catch this dude, whoever it is. The thing that we did not think about was the six or seven cars in his driveway. Maybe we should have hid those, right? But if we knew when this guy was coming, if he was coming again, we would have been prepared, right? We would have been ready, but no, nobody ever showed up. But here's the thing. If, if we knew the thief was coming, if we knew that Jesus was coming back, if we knew that God is wanting to work in our lives, we would be ready. We, we'd be sitting in the driveway. We would be anticipating that he's coming. But we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know the return of Christ. We don't know when our last breath on this earth is going to be. We, we don't know when the next move of God is going to be. So we need to come prepared. Because this is the warning. This is a very kind warning. You also realize that all of the churches, the letters that, that was written to the churches in Revelations, none of them were written off. None of them. God says, I'm done with, but they all had an opportunity to repent and turn so that Christ might work in their lives. But notice that the Lord gives us a promise. This is not just a warning. This is not just a message that we should be considered, but it also is a reminder of the promise that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. He says that yet you have still a few names in Sardis. There are some people that are serving me and are faithful, who are trusting in me, who, who are about the gospel. People who have not soiled their garments, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What made them worthy? What, the, what made them worthy? We can see in other scriptures talking about how do we get this white garment. Revelation 7, 14 says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The fact that any of us are worthy to come into the presence of God is because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, shedding his own blood so that you and I could receive forgiveness of sins. The Lord gives us a promise. See, the people of Sardis had invented or claimed to invent the art of dyeing wool, which meant they probably had darker clothes. Because when you're wearing white and lighter clothes, it shows and exposes all the filth and all the dirt. So when you're traveling, you, they say travel with dark clothes so that it kind of hides some of the stains as you're going from airport to airport. But they had kind of maybe got into the condition in their own life. They were living in darkness and they did not recognize that their garments were filthy. Because they have been living in this and they have become comfortable with this. But Jesus is saying, I've come to make them white. 
And white stands out. White stands out from all other clothes. And Jesus, is, the Bible says in Zechariah 3, he says, A vision, Joshua standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. To him, he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you. This is the gospel. That Jesus is saying, bring your filthiness to me. Bring your sins. I don't care how dark or how filthy or how shameful you are. Bring those filthy garments. Remove those garments. And I will take your iniquity, uh, iniquity, your sins away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So this is an image here that we're saying that God removes the sin in our life, but he doesn't, he doesn't leave us in our shame. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He covers us with the righteousness of Christ. He covers with, with his holiness. He covers us with his, his goodness and his perfection. So that when the Father sees us, he sees the pure bride of Christ. So this has more not just the outside, but it's to do with the inside. God doing a work on the inside of our hearts. And here's the promise that we have as believers in verse 5. That the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So what he's saying is. This white represents victory. Those that have been, has, have conquered, have conquered, have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when the lights come on, Jesus is saying, there's some of you that are walking in filthy garments thinking it's still white. But the, the, the darkness hides it, but when the light exposes it, that's why, that's why we don't sometimes want to be in the presence of preaching. That's why we sometimes resist reading God's word. That's sometimes why we fight being in worship is because we know that the light hurts and it exposes who we really are. But Jesus is saying, listen, I already know everything about you. So come to me and let me clothe you with the righteousness of Christ. So if that is you this morning, there's sin in your life and you're far away from God. This morning, listen, don't wait about tomorrow. Don't worry about anything that's, that's, that's happening of the norm. Listen, if God is speaking to your heart, he wants to clothe you this morning with the righteousness of Christ that you would come to him and repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus wants to do that in your life this morning. He wants to restore your marriage. He wants to restore hope in your life. And he wants to do a great work here at Eastwood and in this community. Jesus is promising us that we are conquerors and he will never blot our names out of his book because we belong to him. And he says he will confess our names before the Father. If we confess that He is Lord, He will confess us before the Father. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if you're hearing this, if you're hearing this message, it's not too late. It's, it's not too late. And here's, here's, the, here's the truth, reality of all of this, that God is wanting to work. I, I believe God is wanting to work. But yet we have been lulled to sleep by the world, by our own self-deception. We're going to completely miss what God is wanting to do in our lives. 
going to invite the band to come and prepare a song of invitation. And I really want to encourage you and invite you that if God is, spur- is stirring your heart, if God is speaking to your heart this morning, I want to invite you to come, to come to the Lord while there is still time. If God is drawing you to himself and causing you to wake up, might you hear from the Lord. As we stand, let's pray.